The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Welcome, welcome in the name of Jesus. May God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you peace this morning. If you're joining us uh, in person, welcome online. If you're a visitor, welcome. We are a church that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that people can find their way to God. And we do that by gathering in the name of the Father like we do this morning, by growing into his image and by going, uh, growing to the image of his son and then by going by the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple things that I want to talk to you about or announce is that next Saturday night, we have a movie night. So September 24th, it begins at 7.30. We are showing the movie Inside Out. All you need to bring is your lawn chair and a blanket. Also bring a friend. And we're going to watch this movie outside. There'll be popcorn, there'll be other snacks, but this is a time for us to get together, to fellowship, to invite our friends and neighbors. And Kendall has been planning this for a while. And so if you'll come out Uh, and be with our church family. Invite your friends. We'd love to have you guys next Saturday night on the 24th of September. I have to make another special announcement. So uh, not this past week, but the week before, we have in our congregation, in our church family, a famous person that was on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) If you could show this picture really quick. That is our own Mike Osborne. He wasn't on the Dancing with the Stars TV show, but the Edmund Chamber of Commerce did a Dancing with the Stars fundraiser. And as you can see, uh, he had a large crowd. He worked hard for several months, weeks. For for Mike, it was definitely several months, working hard, learning how to dance um, uh, with his partner that's, that's here. And so, one, we want to congratulate him. He actually helped raise a lot of money for the Edmund Chamber of Commerce. And, Mike, we will take your confession after church (laughs) for dancing. (laughs) Mostly just for dancing poorly. That's the bigger sin, not actually that you danced. We are in the year go. Going in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Brett and I have been in a sermon series on evangelism called Good News, Sharing the Gospel of Christ. Today, I want to begin with our text from Romans chapter 10, 13 through 15. It says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good Today we want to talk about proclamation. And this is usually where I lose people when talking about evangelism. I teach an evangelism course at Oklahoma Christian. And when we get to the part about talking about 
proclaiming the gospel or sharing the gospel, this is where people start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, we've talked about hospitality. I can invite my friends and neighbors. Maybe that's a little bit hard for you guys, but maybe that's something I can do. Relationships. Brett talked about relationships last week. I can form relationships. I have lots of relationships. But when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, I don't know if I could do that. Because usually when we think about proclamation, we think about something like I'm doing right now, preaching. Now, there are some people in here that are gifted at preaching. There's some people that like to preach, that want to preach. If I ask everyone in this congregation who said, yes, I would love to preach, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But my guess it wouldn't be that many. My guess is most of you don't want to get up here and do what I'm doing. And I get that. I totally get that. I don't think that everybody should preach. There's some days I wonder if I should preach. And there's some days you wonder, yeah, Ben, uh, maybe. But I get it. This is not for everybody. Not everybody's gifted in this way. Not everybody's called in this way. If you were to ask my wife, hey, Come on up. You want to look at her head and say, nope, I'm out. No way. There's no way. You couldn't pay her enough money to do something like that. But it's not just preaching. I think when we think of proclamation or bearing the Christian message, we think of something that I referred to in, in my good friend Seth Bouchel, who's who's informed me a lot about thinking about how we talk about the gospel, that we often think about this approach. It's like a presentation approach, that we have to present the gospel. And what that looks like is that we have to have condensed down the gospel into a single telling or a teaching so that we can proclaim the message in a singular evangelistic event. I've got to have it down. What's my speech? What's my pitch? What's the elevator pitch? Because you might only get one chance and you better make it good. These, that's how we maybe have been taught to think or how we think. Or an approach would be a presentation like this, that you have to go and define the problem for someone in order for the gospel to make sense. So you may begin, someone may begin with a question like this. What are you doing to have your sins forgiven? I'm not saying that's how you begin. But there are approaches to sharing the gospel that might begin with that question. John, what are you doing to have your sins forgiven? So in order to explain the death and resurrection of Jesus and how it forgives sins... We need to say, hey, are you aware of this? We're tempted to think like that. Or there may be some kind of illustration that we have been taught to use. When I was taught evangelism in college, I was taught to draw little stick figures and tell the story of Jesus. It was good. It was really helpful for me. I also remember somebody telling me, uh, showing me one time 
this evangelistic tool. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it looks like a Rubik's Cube. But it basically has pictures, and then you can fold it in certain ways, and there's different pictures that kind of tell the story of Jesus. And it's a way to present the gospel right in front of somebody. All of those approaches are, are good. Praise God. All of those are good. Don't get me wrong. When I was taught to draw the stick figures or even the Rubik's Cube or even having the elevator pitch, all those are good. But over time, some have noticed that there are a few maybe problems with them. Not that they're bad, but there may be some problems with that that maybe lead us to not want to do those types of things. The first is this, it tends to be an inorganic social interaction. If I walk up to a stranger and say, what are you doing about your sins? You get that awkward laugh. We don't usually have interactions that just have an elevator pitch unless you are making a pitch for something. There's no prior relationship necessarily. Sometimes there is, but it assumes like, hey, here's a way to share the gospel with a total stranger. That's often how it's pitched to us. And sometimes it says, you don't even have a prior relationship. Here's how you can tell somebody the gospel. And there's no real context for knowing, are they understanding what in the world I'm talking about? How are they processing all this? And it often leads to an awkward situation. And it also, we tend to use imagery and concepts within these kinds of ways of thinking that might not be really, readily understood in the everyday lives of those who are addressed. So usually when we say we're presenting the gospel, right, what we end up presenting is some, some idea of this religious word that we use called atonement. Like how does Jesus solve your sin problem. And the gospel is about the cross and forgiveness of sins. But the problem that we run into is that we understand that within a whole broader context. Not just a one-time boom. The cross and forgiveness of sins. We kind of take that whole big context for granted. It also, these kind of ways of doing evangelism that you may have heard of or talked about, it, it hinges on this way, these kind of like presentation approaches, they hinge on a single interaction. Like, is it going to work or is it going to work? I had a student recently tell me they were going to do an evangelistic event and they were talking to people and most people on the sidewalk just ignored her or rude to her. But it was this single moment where it needed to work and she was like, I was just so depressed. No one wanted to interact with me. Yeah, they don't know you. <laughs> Plus it feels like all of those Anybody get spam calls lately? Is your phone blowing up with spam calls? It's just the, it's just the adult side of the, 
Maybe the kids are, but it's like every other, like, oh, spam call. They were getting spammed all the time. And so people are wary a little bit of, like, someone spamming us with something. And then here's the, the last thing. That all of these presentation approaches, they're about presenting one thing. And as my friend Seth says, if you can only have one conversation, then you can only have one conversation. <laughs> Which makes sense. If you can only have one conversation about God, then you can only have one conversation about God. That's it. Jesus actually shows us a different way of evangelism. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus begins his ministry, he begins going, proclaiming the good news. And the good news that he proclaims is the kingdom of God. It is this good news that God is reigning in the world. And it is also this good news about what God's reign looks like in the world. So it's no wonder when he says, the kingdom of God has come near. It's happened. It's happening. It's coming. It's here now. And everything is changing. You need to repent Change, believe the good news, because everything is changing. It's no wonder that after that, he invites people into his company. Because when he says the kingdom of God has come near, he says the king, the king of God, the reign of God is standing right in front of you. Everything has changed. So he invites people into that. And one of the first things that we see is that Jesus invites people to gradually learn about the kingdom. In a presentation approach, we expect you to know right away. Jesus actually proclaims the kingdom. Do you think anybody knows anything of what he's talking about when he proclaims this? In fact, if you read any of the gospels, we know they have no clue what he means about this. But Jesus invites people to gradually learn about the kingdom. They are invited to come and to follow Jesus, and along the way, they learn. This is how Jesus makes disciples. In fact, I don't think you can separate the practice of evangelism from the practice of making disciples. It is the same process. This is what Jesus does. He calls disciples, and as he's discipling them, he proclaims. And talks about the kingdom. This is why we talked about a few weeks ago that we usually think of the evangelistic or the conversion process as changing our beliefs first. And then changing our behavior. And then maybe getting around to changing who we belong to. And I offered and says this is exactly the opposite of what happens in scripture. First Jesus calls them to come belong. Then as they belong to the group they begin participating. They change their behaviors. They start doing things like casting out demons. And when Jesus turns uh, the fish and the loaves and multiplies them, they start serving people. Only to later ask, what was going on there? What does he mean by this? 
They don't understand what they're doing. But he invites them in to belong, and they slowly start behaving, and then by the end, they go, I think, I believe this guy's the son of God. That's exactly how it happens in the Gospels. But not only does Jesus invite people to gradually learn about the kingdom, Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, which is what he talks about, he doesn't talk much about theories of atonement or how that works. What he proclaims to people is what does life look like under the reign of God? When God reigns in the world, what does life look like? And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about it within the context of existing relationships. Rarely does he talk about it, and that's the first thing that comes up with a total stranger. Now, sometimes people are strangers. Like the rich young ruler comes up to him. You remember this story? And he asks a question. Jesus responds, but he responds within that relationship that just happened. Just happened. Or do you remember when he goes to the well and he encounters a woman by the well? Do you remember what he says? Does he start talking about living water? No. He asks her for some water. They start chatting. And by the end of the conversation, he's talking about living water. And by the way, she's a skeptic. She's a doubt. But by the end, she runs home and says, you're not going to believe who I met. He told me everything, I, everything about my life. She goes from doubter to believing something about Jesus and says, where can I get this living water? Now, I'm not saying evangelists and conversations happen like that all the time, but you see, he begins with existing relationships. In other words, Jesus is not doing many cold calls. He's just not. But then there's a third thing. So the first is that Jesus invites people to gradually learn about the kingdom. Then he talks about the kingdom within the context of existing relationships. And last, it says that Jesus talks about the kingdom in everyday life. So think about it. When he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about in the context of farming. He talks about family. He talks about issues like money, reconciliation, and relationships. How to deal with the empire. That's a big conversation in his day. He talks about that. He talks about the kingdom within that context. Or how to deal with the law, which is a big conversation amongst the people that he knows that are Jewish. In other words, the kingdom deals with the mundane things of life. Jesus deals with the everyday, ordinary things, but it turns out that means that it's expansive and that it covers a whole lot, not just about your soul. It covers all kinds of things in your life that are relevant to your life right now. 
He doesn't move into issues about the state of your soul or about salvation. But he begins with the relationships and engages in organic social interactions when he talks about everyday life. See, we believe, at least we've been taught to believe, that proclaiming the good news made you say everything you need to say about Jesus and the most important parts about the gospel, which includes some version of how to be saved. That's good to talk about that stuff. I'm not saying that's bad. But Jesus doesn't begin with those things. He begins with talking about the everyday things of life and how the kingdom of God looks within the everyday things of those life, of, of those everyday things of life and what that looks like. When Jesus talks about the cross or atonement or how we're saved by Jesus, those who hear Jesus are typically confused about what he's talking about. And I would argue if you didn't grow up in church or in a church culture, talking about that would be confusing. I've talked to lots of people. They're confused by that. Because there's a whole other context in which we understand what's going on and why that matters. But Jesus allows people to journey over time into the heart of the gospel rather than beginning with central pieces. He gets to those pieces. But slowly over time. I begin to think about, and again, my friend Seth Bouchel has informed me about this. He says he uses this metaphor to think about Evangelism is like a mosaic. Let me put the, the picture up. So you can see this picture. You can see just random people, just their photos. But as you zoom out of these photos that are just taken from everyday life, what you begin to see is a different picture. In other words, Seth talks about evangelism this way is that we don't have to give the whole picture the very first time. What would, we, what would happen if we just began giving glimpses into the kingdom of God slowly? That over time, as the picture broadens and as we begin to see Jesus, we begin to see what his life and death and resurrection mean. So, here's some practical ways that we can do that. Just like this picture shows, you begin pictures with people in ordinary life. There's just pictures. This, that what if we began by talking about, talking about the kingdom in relationship to ordinary everyday life? In other words, we talk about a lot of things in every ordinary day life. And one thing to know is that if you can't have a conversation with someone about ordinary things, then you can't have a spiritual conversation with someone about important things. If you can't have a conversation with someone, you can't have a spiritual conversation with someone. If you can't talk about mundane things, Nobody's interested in talking with you about really important things. That's my experience. It's probably yours too. 
So, start thinking about this. Start thinking about what are the topics that are most mundane, uh, everyday topics that conversations you have that are important to people. Right? Maybe the weather. But a lot of people talk about money and the economy. A lot of people, they talk about work or school. Their life is full of work and school and just the tasks they have going on. A lot of people talk about family. A lot of people in everyday conversations talk about relationships. So one of the things that we can begin doing is just listening and paying attention to the things that people are talking about. This is what Jesus does. People are talking about farming. They're talking about family. They're talking about the law. They're talking about the empire. They're talking about relationships. They're talking about money. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, guess what he relates it to? You don't have to read the Gospels for very long to figure out, yeah, it's about relationships, it's about money, it's about farming. Right? When you plant a seed in the good soil, what happens? When you plant it in the rocky soil, what happens? Those are stories you know. So let me give you an example what that looks like. So say there's someone that's talking about how they have to give, they have to help out their family member. And maybe they're complaining because their family member is, oh man, it feels like they just can't get it together. So we kind of had to bail them out and give them some money. Right? Now that's not an all the time conversation. Don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure there's enough that says, yeah, I've heard maybe somebody talk about that before. Or how they had to bail out a friend. Like, oh, he's always needing money or he's always needing something. That maybe what you can do is then to say, hey, I really appreciate, I really, really appreciate you giving your friend your family money. Because Jesus says, it's better to give than to receive. Do you think they're ever going to give you that money back? Like, no, I'm never going to see that money. I appreciate you. I've got a lot of respect for that. Because Jesus says it's better to give than receive. Now, they may respond and go, where did Jesus say that? Or they may want to talk about it, or they just may want to move on. But you see how you've given them a picture of the kingdom? Something you believe and know is true and something you can affirm and respect in them and now you've given them a small picture of what life looks like under the kingdom of God. Is that the full gospel? No, it is not the full gospel. But it is a small picture of what life is like in the kingdom that provides a context in which Jesus' death and resurrection makes sense within the kingdom of God. And when you make spiritual statements like this, your spiritual statements need to be ignorable. Go to the next slide. They need to be ignorable. Now you're like, wait a minute. This is about evangelism, right? You want people to hear the gospel, right? I want them to hear the gospel. But this is why they need to be ignorable. People need the freedom to respond, not be manipulated. So, in that example, 
I could say, hey, I appreciate you, but Jesus says better give and receive. I can imagine someone just moving on from that. I can imagine somebody asking more about that. Or to give in another example, um, say someone actually helps you or helps the person that you're talking with. It's like, man, so-and-so helped me do this. I was in a bind. I need help moving. I really appreciate this person. And you say, hey, have you ever heard the, this reminds me, have you ever heard the story about the good, you know that story of the Good Samaritan? Now, most people have heard that story, right? And if they haven't, you could just kind of shortly go through it. You know, there's a story about this guy's beat up on the side of the road and he needs a lot of help. And a priest walks by and ignores him. And then his buddy from the neighborhood walks by and ignores him. But the Samaritan, who the, the Jews and the Gentiles, they both hated, he like picks him up, bandages him up, takes him to a hotel and says, whatever this guy owes, put it on my bill. And he goes, your friend reminds me of that. You notice how I gave a picture of the kingdom in a thir- just 30 seconds. They acknowledged something in their life and at the same time gave a picture. But it, I didn't try to overrun the conversation. I didn't try to make it awkward. I didn't try to hijack anything. It makes sense within that conversation to say that reminds me of something I appreciate that I find in Scripture. We need to allow people the option to respond or not respond. Because in everyday conversations, that's what happens all the time. I say stuff all the time, and people don't necessarily respond to it because that's how conversations work. And then finally this, that we need to recognize the kingdom already present in people's lives. You saw from those couple examples that we can begin looking at people that don't know Jesus and we can recognize the kingdom in their life. So for example, if someone is a, is a person that's maybe a peacemaker, they're the ones that are always piecing together relationships when they fall apart. It's like, hey, I've noticed you're a peacemaker. I'm a Christian and, and scripture says that blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be the children of God. I really value that, that attribute, that value, that characteristic that you display. Now, they might not fully recognize what that means within the kingdom of God, but it's there, and why can't we just point it out and say, hey, I appreciate it. Thank you for reminding me of who I'm supposed to be. Or someone that's inclusive. Say, man, I really appreciate it. You always invite the people that get left out. Jesus says this. When you throw a party, don't invite your friends who can repay you, but invite the poor, the blind, the disabled. Then great will your reward be in the kingdom. You remind me of when Jesus says that. Thank you for that. You see, I give him a picture. You give him a picture of the kingdom. In an authentic way that actually represents them. Say, this, you, this is the thing I value. Thank you. Or someone who works hard. They work really hard at their job. And he says, hey, I, I'm a Christian. I appreciate how dedicated you are. Because Scripture tells me to work in everything you do. Work at it with all your heart as if you're working for God. And that's just a great example for me. People have a picture. And you appreciate what they're doing. Romans 10, verse 13 through 15 says this. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them? Unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them about being sent? That is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Preach the gospel. And yes, use your words. Let's stand.